Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are recording here on Thursday, December 15th, 2022. Just yesterday on Wednesday, December 14th, Governor Kathy Hochul, Mayor Eric Adams, and the leaders of their new New York panel released a 40-point action plan called Making New York Work for Everyone that is aimed at reimagining the city's commercial districts, shortening commutes for New Yorkers, and fostering inclusive growth for the city's future. The new New York panel was co-chaired by my guest today, former New York City Deputy Mayor Dan Doctoroff, along with another former Deputy Mayor Richard Bury, and it included 59 members representing a diversity of organizations and communities and perspectives. Dan Doctoroff, who is Deputy Mayor for Economic Development and Rebuilding under then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg from 2002 through 2008, and also was the CEO and president of Bloomberg LP and the founding CEO of urban planning firm Sidewalk Labs, will join me momentarily to talk about that new plan and the panel's work and what comes next for the future of New York City. The new New York panel he co-chaired was convened by the mayor and governor back in May, just a few months into Mayor Adams's term and less than a year into Governor Hochul's tenure in order to rethink the city's central business districts. Those are mainly, but not only, lower and midtown Manhattan, of course, areas that have been significantly hurt to differing degrees by the COVID pandemic and its massive impact on economic trends, such as work from home and hybrid models of work, whereby far fewer people are commuting into office buildings every day, a trend that has had a major impact on not only the owners of those office buildings in some cases, but on the MTA and its fare box revenue, the many businesses and workers who relied on the steady stream of commuters each day into the business districts, the city's bottom line, and so on. In doing its work, the panel broadened its scope a bit and looked at the city's larger socioeconomic present and future and made recommendations about the future livability of the city, the city's economic health and competitiveness, and more. The panel's recommendations were presented to the Hochul and Adams administrations, which then helped craft this action plan that has a series of commitments from the governor and mayor and many state and city actions that we now can expect from them in the coming months and years. The 40 initiatives, which we'll get into a bunch of the specifics here in just a moment, uh, offer a roadmap for the city's future, including several focus areas for 2023 to make the city, as they say, the best place to work. The plan includes efforts to reimagine the commercial districts as 24-7 neighborhoods, something in the model of what happened in parts of downtown Manhattan after 9-11, which my guest Dan Doctoroff was intimately involved with, of course. Also, shortening commutes to work, generating inclusive, future-looking growth related to industries and housing. The plan's focus areas include drastically increasing the supply of housing, something the mayor and the governor appear especially focused on as we head into 2023. The recommendations also focus on more open public space, efforts to support working people and families, and much more. 
At an event yesterday hosted by the Association for a Better New York, Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams, and the new New York panel co-chairs Richard Beery and Dan Doctoroff discussed the new plan in the future of the city. And Dan Doctoroff is here with me to discuss the panel's work, the action plan, the future of New York City, his reflections on the past several decades in the city, including some of the lessons he learned during his years as deputy mayor in the Bloomberg administration and how those lessons can inform the work ahead. Dan Doctoroff, welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm great, and it's great to be here with you, Ben. So um, this is this is an exciting time. You you led this work for uh, six months or so. You got uh, this this panel of experts and diverse stakeholders with lots of opinions together. Uh, you got to some big series of recommendations. Work with the two administrations to craft this action plan. Broadly speaking, um, say a little bit about why you were excited about the prospect of this panel, this task force, and your hopes for what it could accomplish in the sort of big picture here. You know, I, I'm somebody who always thinks about the future of our city, um, and we have significant issues, uh, particularly in our major um, business districts today. Um, but I know, having led the city's a revival of lower Manhattan after 9-11, that out of crisis can come opportunity. And so, you know, I wasn't really looking to do this, but having had the experience of not just thinking about um, lower Manhattan, but thinking about, you know, uh, downtown Brooklyn and Long Island City and Jamaica and Flushing uh, and Harlem and the South Bronx while I was in government and recognizing that we've got a lot of work to do today because the nature of work has changed. Um, I just thought I could maybe be of some value here. What do you think about that, by the way, uh, in terms of those trends? Do you think we're really in this for the very long haul in terms of these hybrid and work from home models. Do you think a significant portion of the workforce is going to get a little bit sick of working from home so much and the numbers are going to actually jump up quite a bit? How sort of, um, you know, what's, what's your finger on the pulse there or, or what you're yeah. hearing from other experts on that? Yeah. So we, we obviously had a lot of employers on the panel um, and, you know, it's a world that I traffic in as well. You know, I, I think that right now, for example, um, daily occupancy, office occupancy is 47 percent. Uh, Pre-pandemic, it was 80 percent. Um, and um, most significantly, you know, we climbed over the summer. But for the last four or five months, we've been stuck at around 47%. Now, my general view is that over time, um, the numbers will creep up and maybe the 60% or so, maybe 65 over time, but we're never going back to 80%. Uh, that's just not gonna happen. People have learned that they, um, don't necessarily need to be in the office. And businesses have learned that too. 
Um, and so uh, I think we're always going to be less uh, in terms of office occupancy than we were pre-pandemic. And that means we have to deal with it. You know, office vacancy rates today um, are at 22% um, in, in Midtown and Lower Manhattan. And, um, you know, that is the highest level since data first became available in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, the average, by the way, over the last 25 years or so has been about 10% or 11%. You know, well, a very interesting statistic, and I don't wanna bore the audience with too many statistics, but this is important, is that foot traffic in Midtown is down 13%. It's down 14% in lower Manhattan compared to 2019 levels. And interestingly, across the city, including Midtown and lower Manhattan, it's only down 2%. So, you know, we've got problems all across the city. They are more intense in Midtown and Downtown. And Midtown and Downtown um, are major drivers of our economy. And we, as you pointed out, you know, a lot of uh, services are dependent on them. But more importantly, you know, people today can work from lots of other places. And we have to ask ourselves, why should they come here? And in order to do that, we've got to make our business districts better places. But the truth of the matter is, we got to make New York the best place to work, period. And in order to do that, we got to make it the best place, period. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with all the all the working from home and the hybrid models. And, you know, I think companies that at least want people in the office two to three days a week. And and a lot of workers, I think, who who kind of like that model, right? The hybrid model. Your ideas in this discussion, and obviously what the mayor and the governor are getting at that I mentioned about housing is such an important issue, both increasing the supply, having an, a focus on affordability, but but doing a lot of the pieces together. So much of this also seems to be, as you're getting at there, about making really thinking about making sure that New York is an affordable and desirable place to live. Because if you're working out of your home or you're working out of nearby coffee shops for, you know, some segment of your work week, whether it's all all five days or two or three out of them, so much of this is about um, about those challenges. So say a little bit about what the discussion in the in the panel and what these recommendations have around um, housing and livability and affordability in the in the city. Well, well, housing and affordability, um, I would argue, maybe is our most important problem today. And the reason it's a problem is we grew a lot over the last twenty years, and particularly after the financial crisis in two thousand eight two thousand nine, um, we didn't build enough housing. So there's a supply-demand imbalance. And when you got a supply-demand imbalance, you've got, you know, really high prices. And that dissuades people 
from wanting to be here or come here. Now, you know, in the Bloomberg administration, we always had a philosophy called what I, what I call the virtuous cycle of a successful city. You want to grow. Um, you want to grow in terms of the number of residents, the number of jobs, the number of visitors, um, because when you do that, you generate money that can be reinvested back in quality of life um, across all sorts of different dimensions. Um, and when quality of life gets better, more people come perpetuating that virtuous cycle. You have to, however, invest to accommodate the additional people. And we didn't do that well enough with respect to housing. And so, you know, this is an opportunity at this moment in time to rethink our commercial districts, but more importantly, to re rethink housing and how we produce what we hope will be 500,000 units of housing over the next 10 years. Um, and um, there's a lots of different approaches to that, um, you know, including converting uh, office buildings that uh, probably shouldn't be office buildings anymore to residential. Um, a big part of it, one of the proposals, is to remove the cap on how high um, uh, residential buildings can actually be. But there's a whole series of others that um, are necessary for us to create housing. And I should point out, at all um, parts of the um, income spectrum, you know, from deeply affordable housing to market rate housing. Because if we don't enable people to afford to live here, they're not going to come. And we go into the reverse of the virtuous cycle. We go into a vicious cycle. Um, and we don't want to ever go back into a vicious cycle like we did in the 1970s. Let's stick on housing for a minute. I, I want to come back to sort of reinventing the the commercial business districts in a moment. But while we're on housing and, and housing affordability and development and, and supply, obviously, as I noted, the governor and the mayor both really focused on this. The governor saying at this uh, release of this plan, she gave a little more preview. She keeps you know, little, little bits and pieces ahead of her state of the state she's uh, releasing and, and hinting at. So she said her goal will be 800,000 new housing units over the next decade across the state. the state. Yeah. Across the state, right? And you're talking about 500,000 units in the city, which is something the mayor recently uh, committed to as a, as a big goal, a, a moonshot goal, as, as they're calling it. Um there's a lot of specific proposals here. We won't go into the list of all of them. Obviously, people can read and skim the plan. You, you've, whoever uh, designed it and put it together for you did a great job in terms of uh, you know readability, and you can you can pick parts to to skim and look at. And there's lists and there's great graphics and all of that, so people can can check that out. But. Um, so there's a lot of specific strategies. There's things related to to zoning changes and and all sorts of uh, pieces. From your perspective in the Bloomberg years and since, and looking at the landscape now, 
where does policy meet politics on this? What are the keys to to actually making a lot of this happen moving forward? There's going to be resistance to a lot of this, whether it's, um, you know, this is getting a little outside New York City, but the a key piece of the overall landscape is going to be questions around adding housing in the city's suburbs. There's questions in, within the city about which communities want to welcome new housing and which communities don't. There's obviously all sorts of political forces at play. What in your mind are, are a couple of the keys to where a lot of these ideas that fit into big picture goals are very important uh, to, to, to your work and your panel and the governor and the mayor uh, they fit into a larger vision of the future of the city, but then you bump into lots of other things that happen in in politics and policy. So, what's going to be oh, uh, key? You're, you're always everything in government is hard. Yeah, um, that was my experience. On the other hand, um, if you have um, a compelling narrative, you back it up with substance. You communicate effectively. Um, to the constituents that need to be communicated with. Uh, if you do the hard work, you can get things done. I know, for example, and, and I'm not boasting, in my time in government, I think we had something like 289 separate initiatives. This is just uh, I and my team under Mike Bloomberg's leadership. Um, initiated. I think something like 285 of them ended up getting done, or in some cases are still getting done. Um, and But you've got to be able to communicate why this is important. So take housing. Um, you know, people don't necessarily want more density in their communities. And in the past, what we have done is we have sometimes ceded too much authority to, um, you know, the local leaders. Um, sometimes you have to tell us a compelling story about why this is important to the city as a whole. We cannot solve the housing problem unless we view this as a citywide um, opportunity and that everybody has to participate. You know, recently we have seen um, that I think the balance is shifting a bit and people are much more open to um, uh, increased density in the city and in specific communities because everyone realizes place is too expensive and it's too expensive for everybody. And we've got the way to reduce the cost is to increase supply. Um, obviously, we also need to supply, you know, significant subsidization to make it affordable at certain income levels. But I think we have to, everyone has to appreciate that we got to grow. We got to be able to accommodate that growth. A huge part of accommodating that is not making the city too expensive. Mm. And housing is the single most important component of the cost of living in the city.
You know, today, I think, you know, 50% of people are rent burdened, um, significantly rent burdened, like are paying more than 30% of their income um, for housing. We can't have that. We can't grow. And it's not fair to the people who live here. There's pe- there's people who who um you know some some in good faith and some who you know call anything market rate luxury, which is obviously uh not accurate, but um but some in good faith who worry about um you know the uh, having those some of those controls on a lot of new development, even people who um either understood or have come around to understanding more the need for supply. As you said, there's been a bit of a shift in the political atmosphere that we've clearly seen in the last uh, year, let's say, here in, in New York, as people have come more around uh, to, to this notion that um, more housing really does need to be built of a variety of, of income levels. But um, but there are, there are some good faith concerns, I think, around sort of um, uh, ushering in more of a glut of luxury housing units, many of which you know sit sit vacant. What? How? How do you? How do you think about combat, combating that both real possibility and that um, that sort of uh, attack line that 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 um, opposition on that front? How do you ensure that it is well, well balanced? You can place limits on what gets built. Um, market rate doesn't necessarily mean luxury, um, the, but, um, you know, when we rezoned things back in 2002, 2003, 2004, we negotiated with the communities, um, you know, for example, in Hudson Yards or in West Chelsea or in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, that, 30% of the units would be subsidized, would be affordable to people who couldn't afford market rate housing. Now, maybe that number needs to go up in some places, for sure. I think it does. But that's all part of the process of negotiating the rezonings. And that process, I think, is, you know, can be a very constructive process. It enables the community to articulate its values and vision at the same time the city does. Um, It's just a lot of work, but it can be done. You know, I think in the Bloomberg administration, we rezoned 40% of the city um, in 140 separate rezonings, and we only failed to get two done. Now, I acknowledge this is a different time. And the standards are going to be different, but that doesn't mean that everybody can't accept that we've got a citywide problem and as a city, we need to deal with it. Um, since since you brought up all that rezoning, um, w- w- were there any mistakes made in downzoning, in doing downzonings? Were, were there, do you think, you know, that, that looking back on things, um, more of the city should have been, you know, you should have tried to upzone more of the city when you had a chance. I, I think that's, I think that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think, you know, in many cases, we had significant upzonings 
Um, but I think probably too many of the rezonings um, were downzoned, meaning, you know, preserved um, the essential um, uh, density that existed um, at, at most. And I think particularly around transit hubs, we are going to have to significantly upzone, but we can do it thoughtfully and we can do it carefully and we can do it with the really in partnership with the local communities. But everybody has to recognize that we can't live in a city where 50% of the people are rent burdened. That's just not right. Uh, maybe we'll have a few minutes to keep talking housing, but I want to get to some other things in this in this plan. But so, I do want to point one thing please. out. Um, it, what's important to understand is in order to revive the business districts, you know, especially Midtown and Downtown, but throughout the city, and maybe even reimagine them, we have to grow. And we have to improve quality of life across the city. And so, you know, I just want to make sure that this isn't some separate housing plan. What it is, is anchored in the notion that in order to revive our business districts, we have to bring more people into the city. And we're not going to do that if it's truly unaffordable mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um so, so in the in the business districts uh, especially midtown manhattan with such a concentration of office space um but as you said not at all limited to midtown and not even limited to midtown and, and lower manhattan but other uh core employment hubs other downtowns as you mentioned long island city downtown brooklyn flushing uh, uh a number of others that you looked at um, say more about the vision of turning more either turning these areas more into more sort of balanced neighborhoods or just really starting to to do that in the case of you know some parts of midtown especially um, what's the vision and how does it how does it get done in terms of uh, your your learned experience and also the vision here one one of the three goals is of this is to reimagine New York City's business districts as vibrant 24-7 destinations. And what we mean by 24-7 is there are places that are live, work, and play, okay, that are active all the time. And purely business districts uh, are not that. Um, let me give you the example of Lower Manhattan before 9-11. You know, Lower Manhattan was a place where virtually nobody lived. Um, and, you know, at six o'clock, it was like, it was a ghost town. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sometimes romanticism about uh, Lower Manhattan before uh, 9-11, but the reality was it was a, a depressing place. Um, In the aftermath of 9-11, and some of this had started actually before, um, what we did was we encouraged conversions 
of commercial buildings, old commercial buildings, to residential. So today, instead of about 20,000 people living in a square mile below Chamber Street, there's 70,000 people. That brings with it lots of retail. It brings with it lots of restaurants and bars. But it wasn't just about people, bringing people there. You know, we redid, I think, 15 parks in lower Manhattan, um, finished Battery Park City, uh, Battery Park, um, <laughs> excuse me, the East River Waterfront and pocket parts throughout it. We created new attractions um, that made lower Manhattan um, a 24-7 destination. We also invested in infrastructure to make it more appealing um, for residents and visitors. Now, you know, we had, didn't do enough, but it is a completely different place than it was before 9-11. And by the way, the mix of businesses in lower Manhattan is completely different too. Before 9-11, it was mostly financial, and now it is a much broader um, range of businesses that exist there. So, you know, that's the idea. Um, and by the way, we did that in many other downtown employment hubs across the city, um, but we need to do more. And the one place where we did not do it was in Midtown. Mm -hmm. And Midtown, I define it in this case, between, say, like 40th Street and 60th Street, between 3rd Avenue and 8th Avenue. Um, Hudson Yards was created as a mixed-use place. Mm -hmm. um, and the broader area of Hudson Yards, everything west of 9th Avenue. So, you know, that's what we have to do um, in order to want people to actually go. Um, to these downtowns, especially Midtown and Lower Manhattan. So you've got a lot of interesting stuff in this in this plan under this this big goal of reimagining New York's business districts as vibrant twenty four seven destinations. Some um, some things you mentioned that were done uh, downtown that could be done in Midtown and other places. But then there's also some um, you know some really interesting additional things in this plan. Um, you do you call for a, a world class network of public space in Midtown, um, but also making public realm improvements across all five boroughs. You um, you call in here for reimagining waste containerization and collection, looking at international uh, models of that. That's obviously something that is in its infancy right now in the city, but this plan calls for really pushing it ahead to match some of those uh, top international. Yeah, I models. want to talk about that whole category of quality of life issues. Sure. You know, again, um, people want to live or go to a place when it's generally speaking dirty um, or unsafe, which is completely foundational, um, where it looks bad. Um, like, you know, you've got, the sidewalk sheds 
you know, for construction that just stay up forever. Um, or by the way, increasingly people want the buildings that they're in to be energy efficient or sustainable. So, you know, without improving in our business districts, the quality of life, people aren't going to want to go. Um, and that's what we also have to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and that gets at, um, uh, as I was saying, waste containerization collection, which, you know, a lot of this stuff, I, I, let, I guess, let me ask you about this now, because it, this, so many of these things relate to this is timelines and implementation. Um, we talked a little bit about that sort of on housing and you talked about narrative and you talked about, you know, the, the, the leadership required and, and the greater good and, and, and all of that. Um, there's a lot of things here. And I think waste containerization is one of these great examples of how slowly the city is moving on something that's done all over, you know, other cities internationally, and even some nationally, um, you know, that, that the plan here calls for the permanent open restaurants program. We've seen more movement on that uh, as part of the pandemic era, you know, adaptations to being outside more. Um, but but say a little bit about implementation of so many of the pieces of this and what you're hopeful about, what needs to happen. This is now, according to the announcement, you know, this is now moving into a new phase um, where it's really inside of government moving ahead on implementation but what does that need to look like from your vantage point? And how can city government, with the help of state government or both together, do things more quickly? Well, let me first say that- The great, the great question of all time. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll come back to specific yeah. implementation plans in a second. But I do want to say here, you know, I've been involved in and around city and state government for about a quarter of a century since I started um, the effort to bring the Olympics here in 1996. And what I will say, having been a part of this process to develop this plan, is I have never, ever seen the kind of alignment and collaboration between the city and the state, between the governor and the mayor and their teams that I have seen over the past six months. So that in and of itself is a huge, um, uh, a huge step forward. Um, now, in ter- excuse me, in terms of implementation, You know, what we tried to do here is be very specific. Now, obviously, we couldn't be as specific as we need to be going forward. But to give everybody in government, and by the way, it's not just in government. We need people to support these ideas as well, who are outside of government, Um, but we gave them a good first step. And now it is generally about government creating specific action plans. In many cases already, we've gone to the budgetary officials and they've allocated capital to these things, but moving it forward 
And, you know, moving things forward, you know, what I learned in government was you got to operate on two speeds at the same time. You have to be patient because there's so many constituents and everything takes some time. But you also have to act with a sense of urgency at all times or else people, things will die their own way, at their own way. And so it's up to government to move things along aggressively, being respectful of communities and other constituents. Um, and at the same time, it's up to us as citizens to hold government accountable to the, for this plan. Um, and I would strongly recommend that um, every year um, the city and state um, do an update on where exactly we are with every single one of these 40 initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I did it led in city government with Mike Bloomberg um, was what's called Plan YC. And it was the path-breaking sustainability plan that (laughs) thought about how to accommodate um, the growth that we thought was going to occur, which in fact has occurred. And every, (laughs) every year, we produced a report on what we actually had done. And I think of the 127 initiatives there, you know, like 124 ended up getting done. One that didn't get done that hopefully will get done, which is part of this plan, is congestion pricing, um, which is important to from a mobility equity perspective and able to get people where they need to go faster. But specificity uh, and urgency um, are critical, and it does have to be led by government, but it needs the support of the public. Don't worry, I wasn't going to let you go here without asking you about congestion pricing. Let me come back to that in a minute. Um, According to the announcement, there's now going to be a new New York leadership steering uh, group that will be in charge of implementation. You have some suggestions for them about uh, how to go about implementation and then tracking implementation. I think obviously that will be very important. There was some discussion about that at the announcement about at the very least coming back uh, to an ABNY event a year a year on and seeing where the progress is at. There was some commitment around that. So we'll look forward to that. But, but obviously, uh, you know, in conjunction with something like that, another uh, update on the report as to where things stand. There will be so much coming up in the governor's uh, executive budget and state of the state agenda, then in the mayor's preliminary budget, and 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 so forth as the as the new year gets going here. But that new steering group in government is going to be uh, hosted, it says, by the first deputy mayor in the city and the director of state operations at the state level and led by the deputy mayor for economic and workforce development and the state's deputy secretary for economic development and workforce. And there'll be some new hires coming on in in city government to work on this. So there's some promises around implementation and and moving this along. 
Let me ask you about a couple other pieces. Again, there's there's 40 things here, not going to get to them all. People should at least review that that list of initiatives. There's things, a lot of things related to transit. There's curb management efforts. There's um, investing in, in employment hubs. There's things related to MWBE contracting, uh, childcare. I mean, there's a lot here uh, that we're not going to get to to all of it. Um, you are calling for two um, two other kind of big structural things that I wanted to ask you about. One is adding a new, uh, I think it's called Director of Public Realm in City Hall. Uh, and I want to ask you about why you think that's important. And two, there's a call here for creating a new public-private partnership to help uh, with capacity building and, and leverage here. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your vision on these two things. And granted, knowing you co-chaired this this uh, panel, maybe neither of these is one of your babies, but uh, but maybe you can speak to the importance of these two, uh, you know, calls for some structural change here and and entities to be created. Well, first of all, um, one of the core elements of this is to make public realm improvements across all five boroughs, not just in Midtown. Uh, or downtown, lower Manhattan. And so there's a lot of projects that need to get done here. Um, and I think having someone o- oversees the implementation of those um, is incredibly important. And having that person um, be in City Hall um, is especially important. So that's, um, I, I, to me, that is just really critical. You know, the way you organize things um, is uh, essential to getting things done. This is all about getting things done. And what you need to do to get things done is reduce as much bureaucratic friction as you can. I said, you also have to communicate, you have to convince, you've got legislators who are critical to some of these decisions. Um, But having somebody driving a key component of this entire strategy, which is designed to make our business districts more attractive and get people to be there, um, is uh, really, really critical. Um, what was the, the way, and, and you're saying the way that 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 a director of the public realm does that is by someone with sort of the who who clearly has the power in city hall to bring in the the other parts of city government who have pieces of this the Department of Transportation the bids the you know the the the, the, the there's a, there's a- sure. <laughs> so many um. And, and and so that's the, that becomes almost uh, almost something of a deputy mayor type of of heft behind that that person. Well, it's got to have the imprimatur of city hall. You know, when I mentioned Plan YC, um, the guy who I put in charge of the newly created at that time uh, office of long term planning and sustainability in city hall. Um, is a guy named Rit Agarwal, who today is the city's climate czar and is the commissioner of the Department 
of environmental protection. We know how to do this. We just got to make sure we get it done. Yeah. Um, the, the the other thing was the a city affiliated public private partnership to build capacity of local organizations and and supporting commercial corridors and innovation. Why, why is that necessary? It's, every time these days, maybe you share some of the skepticism from your time in government. Every time people want to create a new office or create a new position or create a new entity, I'm 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 not against that, but I'm also I'm here going. We have so Same. many offices and so many entities. It's like we need to consolidate, don't we? <laughs> well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And that's not to say it can't be under one specific agency. But, you know, we've done in the city a really good job with bids. But there are neighborhoods, commercial areas in our city um, that are not yet bids or maybe our weaker bids um, where they don't have the resources. And it is a great thing um, to um, have the support from government and potentially private sector to be able to do more in those commercial corridors. So I, I think it's a really great idea. Um, and it, I think it's something where we can raise private capital in addition to um, city money um, in order to um, said make these commercial corridors better and spur innovation. Okay. You know, one of the things that I want to talk about um, is actually the when we've touched on it is the third goal, which is to generate inclusive future focused growth. I talked about how it's important to grow. Um, but, you know, I think we all recognize that as we've grown um, over the last 20, 25 years, um, it hasn't necessarily, the benefits of that growth haven't necessarily been distributed fairly. And I think particularly with respect to business and employment opportunities. And so a big part of this plan is what I call inclusive growth, right? And so there are a whole set of initiatives here um, that are designed to make the growth that we hopefully will have um, more fair, more equitable, more inclusive. And that includes you know, ensuring New York families have access to affordable quality health care, child care. Uh, very few parents in this city can afford, um, can afford real child care. Um, we want to reduce barriers to entering the workforce for people with disabilities. We want to connect workers and students the jobs of the future through infrastructure that can be coordinated between industry and academia. We want to provide better access to capital and technical assistance for entrepreneurs, particularly BIPOC entrepreneurs, you know, with a one-stop program. Um, we want to reduce the burdens for MWBE certification. So all of these things are designed as we think about 
reviving our commercial corridors and we think about reviving our city um, to make the growth that we have fair. And I, I just don't want to miss that point because yeah. it's something that's absolutely critical. Appreciate that. Um, we're in our last few minutes here with Dan Doktoroff, uh, who has been co-chairing the new New York panel put together by Governor Kathy Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams. It was convened in May and has just presented recommendations to the two administrations that were then turned into an action plan that was released on Wednesday, December 14th. We're talking here the day after about that action plan and the future of New York City and what needs to happen to make some of the commercial districts in the city turn into more vibrant 24-7 neighborhoods, the future of work, uh, an equitable growth and recovery, and much more. Dan Doktoroff was co-chair of this panel. He was a former deputy mayor under Michael Bloomberg from 2002 to 2008. He was CEO and president of Bloomberg LP and founding CEO of Sidewalk Labs. Uh, Dan Doktoroff, appreciate the time. Let's just jump into two more quick things here on my list that I have to ask you. One is about congestion pricing. This is something... Um, ha- is it going to, is it definitely going to happen? I mean, you know, th- th- there's a state law that says it, it it needs to, but it's been delayed quite a bit. Obviously there was a global pandemic that had something to do with that, but um, is this definitely going to happen? And if it does, if, when it does, <laughs> how are you going to feel uh, that moment that the first, uh, you know, tolls go on and this thing is is actually happening here in New York City. Let's let's say it's it's, you know, 2020, the beginning of 2024. I think the odds are very, very high that it will happen. Mm-hmm. And as to how I'm going to feel, yeah, I'm going to feel vindicated. But I'm also a little sad yeah. because, you know, it's been 15 years since we posted it. Uh, it'll probably be 16 years before it's implemented, um, and maybe 17 years, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And we lost the opportunity to give all the money was going to be used for the MTA for specific improvements in terms of the bus system, commuter rail system, the subway station improving accessibility in the subway, we would have generated by now probably $15 billion. And we lost the opportunity to do that. And by the way, um, when we implement congestion pricing, we have less traffic on the roads too. So, you know, it's sad that we didn't get it done, but hopefully I think almost definitely it will get done. Yeah, some some you know some reduction in congestion is promised. Uh, helps you know potentially open up uh, more room for some of these other public realm improvements and speeding up buses on the streets. And obviously, then the revenue is supposed to support the at this point you know supposed to support the MTA capital plan, which uh, is counting on it is counting on billions of dollars bonded from the uh, revenue from congestion pricing. So a lot. A lot riding on that that relates to this plan, and that's why uh, it's it's in here. Um, so let me ask you in closing, uh, Dan, about um, 
just any sort of big picture things that are not necessarily in this plan that you're thinking about for the future of New York City? Obviously, you worked on massive projects when you were in City Hall. Uh, you got a whole bunch of things done. There were some big things um, that didn't come to fruition. Congestion pricing uh, looking like it's it's happening. But as you mentioned, Olympics, um, you know, other things, uh, not necessarily things that that you've worked on could be, but any sort of big, big things for New York City that you've been thinking about that you'd love to see, or or maybe it's even an idea that didn't make it into this plan. That's something that you you know, think should be prioritized. The floor is yours. Um, I, I I think this is a one pretty comprehensive. There are some things that are mentioned here where we haven't developed full plans. So, for example, you know, new modes of mass transit. Um, you know, the trackless trolleys um, are much cheaper than fixed rail trolleys that can connect neighborhoods. Um, you know, I think from an economic development perspective, you could think about things like aerial gondolas, um, the um, or much more informal forms of mass transit. If we can get the cars off the roads, not all, obviously, and make reduce the amount of traffic, more informal forms, think of it as via on steroids, right, um, can move through the streets much faster. And that is an equity issue. You know, for somebody who lives, for example, in the middle of Queens, who doesn't live close to a direct connection into Midtown or downtown, they're losing an opportunity or they're taking an hour and a half each way to get to work, which means they have less time to spend with their kids. And so what we need to do, and this is a big part of the plan in general, but we're going to have to think about some of the more specific things. We need to get people where they need to go a lot faster. And that really is, in many ways, an equity issue. It's also an issue of reviving our commercial districts because one of the main barriers um, to people going back to work is the commute. Now, I will also say that foundational, and the report talks about this, foundational to everything is safety. That's foundational for everything. And um, the mayor and governor, I think, are really committed to focusing on it, um, both in general and on the subway system. Um, but, you know, we, we can't grow if people don't feel secure. And um, I think that's really important as well. All right. And in closing, any any big uh, any big sort of project on your mind for New York City's future? You know, this 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 report and set of recommendations and action plan aside, any anything that you'd love to see the mayor pursue or the mayor and the governor pursue that's sort of not on the table right now? Um, obviously, there are announcements around a soccer stadium in Queens, and you know, there's there's. Uh, we we did a piece at Gotham Gazette on the stalled Sunnyside Yard plan, but well, I was, was going to mention. 
I was okay. going to mention Sunnyside Yards. Okay. There you go. Because it's like one of the biggest unused um, tracts of land. We've proven we can build stuff over rail yards. We did it at um, in Brooklyn, and we did it on the west side. Um, so I, I do think Sunnyside Yards is a huge opportunity that could provide a huge amount of housing over yeah. time. Um, you know, I'm, I am really excited to see what's going on at Willits Point. Um, I think we started that 17 years ago. So, you know, um, I think that's going to be a, a big thing. You know, I'd like to see um, Governor's Island turned into something that is a real driver of New York as a leader in terms of sustainability but maybe other um, uh, urban issues as well. Um, so, you know, what I really would love to see is New York become a hub, the hub, the main place in the world that um, companies come to when they are thinking about urban innovating in the urban environment. You know, people look to New York for inspiration all over the world. And I believe that um, as we think about the future, innovating in New York across buildings, mobility, sustainability, digital infrastructure, social infrastructure, um, New York can be sort of the main place where that occurs because every Everyone looks to us, but we have to have the courage to uh, experiment and innovate. And that's what New York is. It's a place where people come here from all over the world, building, built, bringing their dreams. And that's what we want to continue to do. And that's what this plan actually is, in, is designed to do. All right. We will leave it there. I'm glad you said, uh, said those words, you know, courage and experimentation. You know, I think these are, these are some things that are often in short supply understanding, uh, you know, even from, from where I sit, uh, how hard the media can be on, you know, elected officials who try something and it doesn't work out and, and, you know, they need to, uh, be able to admit, uh, you know, they made a mistake or something didn't pan out. And mayor Adams said a lot of good things along those lines when he was running for mayor and hopefully he'll, um, you know, he'll live up to them in, in trying a lot of new things and pushing things ahead. And some of them might not work out, but, um, but those are important, you know, important, uh, values to have in, in trying to innovate and move, move things ahead. So Dan Doctoroff, thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, along with, uh, some of the big uh, ticket items on, on your resume that I've mentioned multiple times, I should also mention that you're the author of greater than ever New York's big comeback. So if people are interested in, in your, uh, in, in your book, uh, telling the story of the city's uh, comeback after 9/11 and um, some of your lessons learned as deputy mayor, they can they can also find that. Thank you very much for the time. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>